Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our service this morning. We're happy to see you here. Happy to hear the, the chatter of voices in our church and a little bit cooler weather. Um, the songs that were picked today are songs, um, I don't know, they sort of are happy and sort of are not happy. They're happy because we know where we're going and we know where our strength comes from, but they also relate to grief. So um, we're going to start out with His Eyes on Sparrow. This is Nicole. She is my new Curtis and Shauna. Um, Curtis and Shauna have a new somebody else, so they're not up here. But we're very happy that Nicole has stepped in, and she's a phenomenal singer as well. So let's stand and sing His Eyes on the Sparrow.
Mr. Cottrell, because he sang that one <clears throat> one time when he preached, and he has a, he had a fam like amazing voice, and I just imagine him in heaven still singing praises to his king and um, in perfect harmony, and he would be super excited to sing with all those people. That's for sure. <laughs>
Good morning to each and every one of you. I feel privileged this morning to be able to do this. Um, forget who I was talking to. Well, actually, Cam mentioned it as well, but several people have said, Pastor Glenn too, that in another couple of weeks we're going to have a burning ceremony. <laughs> Maybe. Anyhow, it's good to be here in the Lord's house again. Uh, let's uh, open in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you that You've allowed us to be together again and have fellowship with one another. We know how important that is, and we pray that as we do that this summer and continue on in the fall, that uh, people will be reminded how much we need each other as a church family and how we need the fellowship. We just pray that this morning you'll speak to us through the psalm that Pastor Glenn has prepared and touch our hearts. I ask these things in your name. Amen. Let's read the call to worship together. With my mouth I will give thanks abundantly to the Lord, and in the midst of many I will praise him. For he stands at the right hand of the needy to save him from those who judge his soul. Now I know Pastor Glenn is going to explain that today because I was read it twice and I'm thinking, okay, what does that really mean? <laughs> so he's digging into that today. No, he isn't. That's 109, not 119. Sorry. Anyway, uh, we are going to now have the scripture reading. Sorry if I'm a little rusty. I was kind of asked last minute. <laughs> 
So the scripture reading is Psalm 119, verses 25 to 32. I am laid low in the dust. Preserve my life according to your word. I gave an account of my ways, and you answered me. Teach me your decrees. Cause me to understand the way of your precipice, that I may meditate on your wonderful deeds. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious to me and teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I have set my heart on your laws. I hold fast to, the, to your statues, Lord. Do not let me be put to shame. I run the path of your commands, for you have broadened my understanding. again, let's just uh, ask God to guide our thoughts as we look into this, uh, this passage that was just read. Lord God, we want to just uh, pray that as we look into the words of this passage that was just read, that, that you would teach us, that you would show us what it is you're saying to us, that our hearts would be open to understand that and hear that. And that we could be fed from your word this morning. Help me, Lord, to speak it as it needs to be spoken. And uh, just that, that you would do the speaking here this morning. We pray in your name. Amen. The story goes that there a, was a Scandinavian couple named Svend and Hulda. They were committed Christians. Because they were committed Christians, they were also committed, very committed church members. They sang in the choir, they both taught Sunday school, they had prayer at every meal. They went to all the church functions. The only problem was that they just couldn't get along with each other. At home, they just constant fighting and bickering and complaining and fussing and it was just terrible. Their marriage was just terrible <laughs> in spite of all that. And that went on for years. So one morning after both of them had had their devotions separately, uh, Hulda said to Sven, and I'm going to try the best to do my Norwegian accent. I, I learned it pretty good when I was in Montenegro because there are all Norwegians there, but got out of it for a while. But anyway, my best Norwegian accent, here it is. Uh, Hulda said to Sven, you know Sven, I've been thinking. I got the answer to this hopeless problem that we're living with. I think that we should pray for the Lord to take one of us home to be with him. <laughs> and then spend, I can go live to be with my sister. <laughs> oh, tough crowd here today. This sermon isn't really about marriage. It's about dealing with grief and with heartache. But marriage is often the context into which these things come. So I have another humorous story about marriage. At least I thought it was humorous. You probably won't. But. 
Chuck Swindoll says that there are seven stages of a marriage going cold. So here goes. Here are the seven stages of a marriage going cold. The first stage. Honey, I'm really worried about you. You've got a bad sniffle. I want to put you in the hospital for a complete checkup. I know the food is lousy, but I've, been, I've, I've arranged for meals to be sent up from Spiro's. So it's all arranged. Second stage. Listen, honey, I don't like the sound of that cough. I've called Dr. Miller, and he's going to rush right over. Now, will you be a... Go to bed like a good girl, just for me, please. Okay, so third stage. Maybe you better lie down, honey. Nothing like a little rest if you're feeling bad. I'll bring up something for you to eat. Do we have any soup in the house? Fourth stage. Look, dear, be sensible. After you've fed the kids and washed the dishes, well, you better hit the sack. <laughs> Fifth stage. Why don't you take a couple of aspirin? Sixth stage. If you just gargle or something instead of sitting around barking like a seal. <laughs> and then the seventh stage. For heaven's sake, stop sneezing here. What are you trying to do? Give me pneumonia? <laughs> so, yeah, I'm not sure what happens after that. <laughs> so that's all the humor I could come up with this morning on the subject of grief and heartache. Because grief and heartache really aren't that funny. But they will be or have been a part of everyone's life. As you know, for the Sundays of summer that I'm here, we're going through selected portions of Psalm 119. Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses. For those of you who have not been here in the past few weeks, uh, this psalm is a long poem arranged in 22 stanzas, each stanza eight verses long. And in the original Hebrew language in which it was written, in each stanza, every verse in that stanza begins with the same letter of the Hebrew alphabet, all the way through, from the first letter all the way down to the 22nd letter, which is how many letters there are in the ancient Hebrew alphabet. So some of you with newer translations actually have those headings in your Bibles. Uh, and they are the names of the Hebrew letters that those next eight verses begin with. The entire psalm, Psalm 119, all deals with the Word of God. And its relevance to every facet of life. And the importance of knowing it and studying it and applying it. And it deals with how to apply God's word to different circumstances and issues that come up in our lives. We've already looked at the first two stanzas. Uh, today we're going to skip down to the fourth, the fourth stanza. And that's verses 25 to 32. And uh, this one caught my attention um, because it, it deals, it, it, it's an example of how this, the psalmist uses this theme of God's word and getting to know God's word and trusting it and running after it and how he uses that theme to apply to a specific area of life. And this time, it's, it's dealing with grief and heartache. And I don't know what kind of grief and heartache you may be going through today, if any, maybe not. Uh, I know for Gloria and I, we've had, what, four funerals in the last six weeks or so that we've been through there, so maybe that's why it kind of caught my attention. But you can tell by reading this that the psalmist was what the psalmist was struggling with as he wrote this. He's struggling with, he's overcome with grief, and he's struggling with grief. Now remember, in Hebrew poetry, uh, 
the main theme or main point of the poem is often put in the middle of the poem. And the first part leads up to it and the next part kind of expounds it or gives some applications or teachings that come out of it. So in this stanza, verses 25 to 32, verse 28 is the main point or is the main theme of what this poem is about. The psalmist is struggling with some deep grief. Some of your translations may use different words. The Hebrew word means grief or heaviness or sorrow. So that's the subject or the theme of the stanza. We aren't told what the nature of the grief was, whether it was the death of a loved one or a betrayal by a friend or a deep hurt inflicted by someone who was close to him. We're just not told what it is. But we don't really need to know the source of the grief. The point is, the writer of this psalm points us to the word of God as the answer to dealing with grief no matter what the source of the grief is. The word of God is the answer to walking through it and being victorious over it. So that's the subject of the sermon today. Let's dig in. It's good for us to gain an understanding of how God's word can work for us in times of grief. We can gain this understanding by studying the principles contained in this passage, Psalm 119. Verses 25 to 32. So the first principle I see here, number one, God's word brings revival and strength when we're grieving. God's word brings revival and strength when we're grieving. I'm interested here in two words that appear, one in verse 25 and the other in verse 28. In my translation, those words are revival and strengthen. <laughs> and that's what we need when we're down with grief and heartache. As the writer says there, right in the beginning of verse 25, my soul cleaves to the dust. That's the feeling when you are overcome with grief and heartache. You're down in the dirt. You have nothing left. You don't have any energy or motivation to do anything. You need revival and strength. The Hebrew word translated here, revive, carries with it the idea of giving life. So here it's talking about restoring to life. The writer feels like he's dead. He's down in the dust. There's not nothing left. He's dead. And he's praying, God, restore me to life. Bring some life to me. Revive me. Make me live again. And then strengthen. That word translated strengthen in verse 28 means to rise up or to stand up. And the tense in which it is used in verse 28 means kind of to establish, to, to set your... Set your core, not courses, to set your foundation, if you like, to establish in a position. So the psalmist's prayer is that God would stand him up again and establish him strong and stable again. So that's a prayer. He's grieving. He's broken. He's heartbroken. He's hurting. He's down in the dumps, feeling no life, no energy, feeling dead. And he prays to be revived and strengthened. But, very significantly... Notice the means by which he wants to be revived and strengthened. Verse 25, revive me according to your word. Verse 28, strengthen me according to your word. It is through God's word that we can be revived and strengthened when we are down. From grief or heartache or hurt. 
Now, this is important because we can get energy from other sources as well. But those other sources carry the grave danger of taking us down a road that we don't want to go down. Or dangerous for us to go down. That's what point number two is all about, so we'll get to that. But all I'll say here is that depending on your, what your grief or your anger or your hurt is about, you can get energized by anger. You can get energized by bitterness. If you let that, the bitterness and anger, if you let that build and fester, it takes on a life of its own. And it'll give you a lot of energy. But that'll take you down a path that is not right and will be destructive. No, no, don't go there. The writer says, revive me according to your word. Strengthen me according to your word. Use your word, God, to raise me up and make me live again, to establish me again. And that is a very healthy way to be revived and strengthened. So if you're grieving here this morning, or hurting, or heartbroken, or feel betrayed, or whatever, and feel totally lifeless and dead, God's word is your ticket out. God's word is... Your key to be revived and strengthened. Now, this will not be something that will happen immediately. It isn't like you can just open your Bible and read a chapter and instantly be revived and strengthened. No. Like we saw in the previous two sermons, you need to put work into the studying of God's Word. You need to put the time and the effort to read it till you know what it says. And then to study it and meditate on it till you understand what it means. And pray over it till you get what the message is for you from God in your particular circumstance. And then apply it and obey it. You have to do it. And that's a process. You don't do that in 20 minutes. You work at it regularly over the long haul. And as you do that, you will find the life coming back to you. As God uses his word to revive and strengthen you. And it will be in a very good and healthy way. And you will come out much stronger and better than you were before. So, God's word brings revival and strength when you are grieving. Secondly, God's word points us in the right direction when our grief confuses us. God's word points us in the right direction when our grief confuses us. And this is so important. When you're suffering heartache and hurt and grief and pain, no matter what the source of it is, it is a very confusing time. There are so many emotions coursing through you. Depending on the source of your grief, there may be deep hurts that you're trying to pull away from. If someone has betrayed you, there's that natural desire to hurt them back, to get even, to get revenge, to make them hurt as much as you are hurting. And a little more for good measure. That's the natural feeling. It's a confusing time. With all the emotions swirling around, with everything seemingly falling apart around you, and nothing really making any sense. 
it's really hard to know what the right thing is. What is the right thing to do? And many people have done some very foolish things when they are in this state of grief. Taking actions of revenge that make it worse. Entering into illicit love affairs. Blowing a bunch of money on one thing or another. Selling everything, moving across the country, trying to get away from the pain. At the moment, it seems like the right thing to do because it gives temporary relief from the pain and the grief. But in the end, it creates much, much worse problems. That's why the writer of this psalm prays in verses 26 and 27 and 29 to 30. Let's, let's read those. This, this prayer. 26 and 27. I have told of my ways, and you have answered me. Teach me uh, your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, so I will meditate on your wonders. Down to verse 29. Remove the false way from me, and graciously grant me your law. I have chosen the faithful way. I have placed your ordinances before me. find verse 26 interesting. The psalmist told God of his ways, it says. I've told you of my ways. Likely meaning that the psalmist had told God what had happened to him and also maybe some of his thoughts and ideas about it all and was kind of venting toward God. And, and also perhaps he had told God of some of his thoughts or ideas or courses of action he's thinking about taking. Told it all to God. That's never a bad thing to do. Never a bad thing to just be open to God about what you're thinking and what you're even if what you're thinking is totally wrong. <laughs> Never wrong to tell God what you're thinking and allow him to steer you right. I have told you of my ways, Psalmist says. And God answered him. And then wisely he asked God to teach him his statutes. Teach, ask God to teach him his way. You see, friends, God's word is our compass to guide us in the right way. Just like when you're lost in the bush, and you need, don't know which way is which anymore. You need a compass to guide you. So when you're confused by all these things going on in your head because of the grief, you need that compass to guide you. God's word is that compass to guide us in the right way during those times of confusion that comes with grief and heartache. There are numerous wrong ways to deal with pain and grief. But we need to choose the faithful way, verse 30, the right way. And we will only know that through God's word. It's the only way to know it. Through the reading, studying, meditating on, and application of God's word. And thus the psalmist prayed in verse 29. He prayed to be kept from the false way. And he made the choice to go the faithful way, verse 30, as he placed the word of God before him. So again, it comes back to God's word. It is God's word that points us in a right direction when our grief confuses us. So like the psalmist in verse 26, when you're in a state of grief, tell God about it. About exactly what's going on in your life and what's going on in your head. 
And even tell God about what kind of direction you're thinking about taking. But then listen to his answer. And let him teach you from his word as you get into his word. And you will be guided right. And then thirdly and finally, God uses his word to expand our character in times of grief. God uses his word to expand our character in times of grief. I'm looking here at verse 32. I shall run the way of your commandments, for you will enlarge my heart. What a great verse. <laughs> what a great truth. That word enlarge in my translation. The original Hebrew word means just that. It means to make wide, to make broad, to make bigger. So in this whole process, as we run after God's word, our heart will be made bigger. Heart here is referring to our person, our inner character. These times of grief, no matter what the cause of the grief is, be it the death of a loved one, or a hurt inflicted by a loved one, or a betrayal, or a loss of something, doesn't matter what the source of the grief is. If we bring God's word into it, and depend on it for revival and strength and guidance to do the right thing. We will grow as a person. Our heart will be enlarged. We'll become bigger, better, stronger, a more stable person than we were before. That is a fundamental truth of the Christian life. Trials bring growth and maturity of character. If it's handled according to God's word. God's word is key to it all. So the psalmist says in 30, verse 32. I shall run the way of thy commandments. And that sentiment is throughout all those eight verses that we just looked at. Verse 26. Teach me thy statutes. Verse 27. Make me understand the way of thy precepts. Verse 29. Graciously grant me thy law. Verse 31. I cleave to thy testimonies. Verse 32, I shall run the way of thy commandments. <coughs> Excuse me. He is in the middle of deep grief and in the middle of the hurt and the grief and all the conflicting emotions and voices that he hears all around him. He's in the middle of that. But through it all, there's one thing he knows to do. Go after God's word. Run after God's word. Be taught by it. Let God give you understanding of it. Cleave to it. That is the key to waiting through it all. To going in the right direction. To gaining victory in the end. And when you do that, you'll come out a bigger and a better person. Because God, through his word, will enlarge your heart. So therefore, we see from this passage this morning the principles that will give us the understanding of how God's word can work for us in times of grief. They are, number one, God's word brings revival and strength when we're grieving. Number two, God's word points us in the right direction when our grief confuses us. And thirdly, God uses his word to expand our character in times of grief. So as I said at the beginning, I'm not real sure who this sermon is for this morning. Uh, perhaps only you and God know about the personal grief that is going on inside your heart. And I don't. 
that you and God do, and the pain and confusion you're in the middle of. I don't know that. But you and God do know that. What I do know is that the Bible says in these eight verses, I know what it says. So if this describes you this morning, the answer for you is to go after God's word. Like I said, it won't be fixed immediately. This isn't a 20-minute fix. There will be likely a fair bit of time involved. But run after God's word. Read it. Pray over it. Read it some more. Let God guide you to an understanding of what it means. Of what the message to you is. And then apply it and obey it. Because that will be the right thing to do. You will likely be stretched. You will have to step out in faith. But as you do, you will be revived and strengthened. And you will take the right course of action. And you'll come out a bigger and a better person. Let's take our time of silence and just open your heart in this silence to allow God to speak to you. What is God saying to you from this this morning? Let's stand and sing together.
Thank you.